Calling all Jets fans and foodies. What's going on, guys? I'm Brandon Rewicki, the host of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Look, if you love Jets hockey, this is the place for you. In-depth breakdowns from every game, a deep dive into the big plays and moments from Winnipeg's season, and all the Jets talk you will not find anywhere else. We got it for you on Skates and Plates. Plus, if you love carbs and everything tasty, we jump into the world of food as well. Once a week, we also speak with a member of the local culinary scene to highlight their great stories and the great food they put out. So there it is. Hockey, Jets, food, drink, everything good in life. It's right here on Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Pigskin fans, the moment you've been waiting for all season is right around the corner. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, is bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. All you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter DraftKings free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get an instant free prize up to $25,000. And if you have the most predictions correct, you could win the top prize of $1 million. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, enter the free prediction challenge, answer questions like who will score last, and boom, get ready to make it rain. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you think you are as smart, if not smarter, than any analyst out there giving these predictions, put your money where your mouth is, make some bets, and get this money. Call to action. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Again, the promo code is THPN. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use the promo code THPN now and enter the free $55 million Super Bowl challenge. Again, the promo code is THPN. Only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. Terms, conditions, and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome to New York. Devil's State of Mind podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Now here's your host, Neil Villapiano. Woo! What is going on, Devils fans? It is your boy, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast 
Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news and topics going on about your New Jersey Devils. As always, thank you guys so very much for taking some time out of your day to check this episode out. I do greatly, greatly appreciate it, folks. We have a lot to discuss here today. We're going to be talking about two games that happened, one against the New York Islanders on Sunday, and then we're also going to be talking about the first of the two matchups against the Philadelphia Flyers. As you guys will be listening to this episode, it'll be first out on Thursday, January 28th, 2021. That will be the day of the second game between the Devils and Philadelphia Flyers. And then obviously the next episode, which will come out next Monday, it'll be the first episode of February, February 1st. To be exact, we'll talk about the games between, you know, obviously with the Philadelphia Flyers on Thursday and also the back-to-back matinee games in Buffalo against former New Jersey Devil Taylor Hall and the Buffalo Sabres. We also are going to be talking about a specific article that came out about two days or so, and it talked about Nico Heeshear and what really is going on and what his situation is, and I'm going to give you my thoughts as to what I think about this entire article and, and what I've had a chance to see. And also, because I'm recording this on Wednesday, January 27th, about 10, 15 minutes ago, we got confirmation that a certain player is now officially able to practice with the team and possibly could make his season debut on Thursday. So we have a bunch to get to. So let's not waste any more time and drop the puck. So we'll start by talking about the two previous games that we have not covered yet, and that is the game this past Sunday, the 24th, against the New York Islanders, and then obviously the first of the back-to-back games against the Philadelphia Flyers, the first one being on Tuesday, January 26th. So we'll start with the game against the Islanders. Really, obviously, the Devils were looking to try to bounce back from their 4-1 loss to the Islanders the previous Thursday. And it was really, you know, obviously it was a very frustrating, you know, type of game to deal with because you look at how the Devils started the season, you know, getting a couple wins, especially an emotional victory against the New York Rangers at Madison Square Garden. This was really the first time where it seemed like right from puck drop, they really weren't into the game. And obviously with the news that we got about Mackenzie Blackwood being put on the COVID-19 list uh, at very short notice, is an unfortunate situation and Scott Wedgwood, who had basically not played an NHL game as a starter for about three years, being put into that position was obviously somewhat of a challenge. And the Islanders definitely proved why they are a team that could make a very, very long run to the Stanley Cup if they continue to play the way that they've been playing. But the Devils really just wanted to come out and get a better start. And I think they did. They really, really looked a lot hungrier. They looked aggressive. They were getting pucks to the net. And they ended up getting rewarded for this, not right away, but once we got to about the last five minutes or so, the Devils really started to get pucks in the back of the net. It started with about three minutes to go in the period. The Devils were on the power play. Jack Hughes got a really nice pass from Ty Smith. Hughes was left all alone on the left side and without any hesitation, ripped it top shelf past goaltender Ilya Sorokin, the very, um, I guess you would say very, big-named goaltender. He has a lot of hype around him being a young guy, making his NHL debut and and getting this opportunity. But he got beat by Jack Hughes, and the Devils were able to take a 1-0 lead. Then about two minutes later, 
Pavel Zaka was able to get the puck off a rebound and put it home to give the Devils a 2-0 lead. So you go into the locker room after the first 20 minutes, and you have to look at it and say, that was an awesome period. If the Devils can do that more often, they are a difficult, difficult team to beat. There is no question about it. And that was really one of the best periods early on this season that where the Devils really, you know, not only were they the better team, but they got rewarded for it by getting a couple goals. And then as the game progressed, the Devils still were able to create some chances, but I'm not going to say the team kind of fell back and tried to play defensive hockey like we've seen in years past. It felt like that they were focusing a lot more on trying to slow down the likes of Anthony Beauvillier, Matt Barzell, Anders Lee. And I would have to say, now, albeit, again, Anthony Beauvillier did get hurt and didn't return in the game against the Devils, but Considering all the players that they were facing and the talent they were facing, the Devils defense had one of, if not its best game overall. And then you look at Scott Wedgwood, he was absolutely a brick wall. But going back to the defense real quick, the guy that really stood out to me and definitely stood out to a lot of people within the Devils, you know, whole world was Dmitry Kulikov, who you know, got about 28, 29 minutes of ice time in total in that game. He blocked a couple shots. He did a really good job of denying a lot of cross-crease passes. The Islanders were trying to get a little bit cute, trying to pull a fast one, but Kulikov was always there in every single situation to make a defensive play. And then you look at, you know, the rest of the defense they played well. I thought P.K. Subban did a good job defensively. I thought Ty Smith really locked it down. And speaking of Ty Smith, he got assists on both goals in that first period, which actually moved his point streak up to five games. And he became, I think, either the seventh or eighth player in NHL history to start their career with a point in each of their first five games. And just like Kale McCarr, who won the Calder in his rookie year, he tied him in that. And he was going to, he was going into the game against the Philadelphia Flyers on Tuesday with a chance to tie former New Jersey Devil Merrick Chelitsky for the most games to start a to start a career with at least one point. So obviously there was a lot of things, but that was a great game from Ty Smith offensively, and he played a very solid game defensively. And then you go to Scott Wedgwood, like I mentioned. And the funny thing was is that, and he mentioned this in the post game when he was being interviewed by Erica Walker, that that was his mother's birthday. So obviously he had a little bit of extra motivation to go out there and try to perform other than to try to redeem himself, because let's be honest, myself included, not a lot of us had a lot of confidence when it came to Scott Wedgwood, especially after he performed against the Islanders a couple of days prior in the 4-1 to loss. So it was kind of one of those things where I was going, uh, is goaltending going to be an issue in this game? And Wedgwood made sure that that wasn't the case, and he played very, very well, stopping all 28 shots he faced against the Islanders and got the shutout, and it was also his first victory in three years. You have to remember, the last time he got a victory was against the New Jersey Devils in his first game with the Arizona Coyotes after he had been traded. So that kind of shows you how long it really has been since Scott Wedgwood has had the opportunity to get a win in the National Hockey League, and that is a great birthday present for his mother. So that was definitely a it just an awesome experience all around, but most importantly, the Devils were able to bounce back and get a victory on home ice against the New York Islanders to, to nothing, which is great. And that moved them to getting already their third win. 
So you look at it at that point, the devils are three, one, and one. And it just, you, I, I think if you were to ask, tell, or basically tell me that if the devils, if they start the season three, one, and one, like how would I feel? I would be over the moon because if you look at the expectations that most of us had and looked at, you know, what the reality is, I think that, you know, and also considering the division that we're in as well, that, you know, it was going to be a tough year and it still very well could, because again, we're still very early into the season. Like we're not even 10 games in, we're nearing the end of February and February will be technically the first full month of the season. So obviously the year is still very, very young, but for them to get off to this type of start and be this competitive is just absolutely tremendous. And it's just, be, it's just made it fun to watch this team and made it exciting to watch every single game. And I hope that continues as the season progresses. But like I said before, the Devils getting a big victory on home ice 2-0 against the New York Islanders. And then you go into Tuesday's game against the Philadelphia Flyers, the first edition this year of the Battle of the Jersey Turnpike. And obviously, look, the Flyers are going to be a team that is not only projected to finish in the top four in the East Division, but a team that could definitely make a long run as well in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You look at last year, you look at what they were able to do in the bubble and the type of skill that they have, the type of young skill that they have. You know, it, it, it's a pretty, it's it's a very, very you know hungry team with a lot of high expectations. So obviously they were going to be coming in, looking to try to show their dominance. And obviously also they were trying to redeem themselves after just two days prior, they had gotten shellacked by the Boston Bruins six to one and Carter Hart, had that you know infamous moment where at the end of the game he was just slamming his stick and breaking it you know looking like Ron Hextall out there honestly but he was really really frustrated and the Philadelphia Flyers decided to go with their very solid and very reliable backup goaltender in Brian Elliott and I knew that this was not going to be an easy game and I was very curious to know how the Devils were going to come out were they going to be a little bit flat like they were in the first game against the Islanders, you know, were they going to be on a high because they had just beaten the Islanders and then they were going to lay an egg against the Flyers. That really didn't happen when you look at the way this game transpired, especially in the first period. The Devils came out virtually the same way they came out against the Islanders in that second game. They were aggressive. They were getting pucks to the net. The Flyers just constantly looked like they were just a step behind. And the one thing, though, that was frustrating is that the Devils took a couple penalties. And the second one that they took, unfortunately, ended up hurting them. But what happened just seconds prior to giving up the goal hurt a little bit more because if, if, the, if the situation had happened differently than what it actually did, we might be looking at a, at a completely different hockey game. But again, the Devils were on the penalty kill with about six minutes to go in the first period. And another turnaround pass, I think it was Zajac that this time made that pass. He found Igor Sharangovich, who basically had all day went down the ice. He clearly was not going to be stopped by any defenseman. And he beat Brian Elliott, but not the post. It rang right off the top post, and it went out. The Flyers were able to get the puck back in about 30 seconds after that. You had Ivan Provorov take a shot from the point. It was deflected by somebody. I think it might have been Joel Farabee who deflected it at first. But then James Van Riemsdyk from Middletown, New Jersey, so a New Jersey native, deflected it a second time, which deflected up top shelf into the net. Boom, one nothing Flyers. And obviously that's frustrating because you don't want to give up a goal. And the Devils penalty kill 
has certainly been a massive weakness early on in the season. And hopefully as the year progresses, we can start to get that fixed. And that's something that can be fixable if the guys are coached correctly. And, and that's, I put a lot of faith in this coaching staff that they're going to get that fixed. And especially when they're a young team like they are, you know, you, you have to look at that situation and you have to be understanding that these guys have to learn almost on the fly every single game. But still, it was a frustrating goal to give up and the Flyers ended up going into the locker room up one nothing. But I, I wasn't I wasn't really that worried about how the rest of the game was going to go. Yes, it was frustrating that Sharon Govich basically beat Brian Elliott, but he didn't beat the post. And as we've said before, a post is a goaltender's best friend, and there is absolutely no question about that. And then, you know, you look at the situation and you're saying, okay, how do the Devils need to respond to that? Well, they just got to go out and keep playing the way that they're playing because eventually they're going to get, you know, opportunities and they're going to get pucks in the back of the net. And they really just didn't get off to a good start in that second period. About 30 seconds in, they took a penalty, which, okay, I just want to say this. It really, really was a ticky-tacky call on Kyle Palmieri. They called goalie interference, but if you look back on the tape, Palmieri didn't just skate into the goaltender and, you know, obviously that would be justifiable. No, he was pushed in. Whether it was lightly or not, he was pushed into the goaltender and there wasn't even a shot on net. It wasn't even close. And you really just don't see that very often where the ref just makes a call that quickly. I was a little bit suspect of the calls that the refs were making, particularly it was heavily against the Devils. And I'm not going to come on here and try to be all, you know, conspiracy theorist Neil and, and try to say that, oh, the refs were paid up by the Flyers or anything. No, I'm not, I'm not going down that road. It, it just seemed like that the calls were much more favorable for the Flyers and they were the Devils in this sense. It didn't seem very fair. And that call was very ticky-tacky. And unfortunately, the Devils, you know, had to pay the price for that as once again, James Van Riemsdyk tipped the puck, which redirected top shelf into the net and the Flyers took a 2-0 lead. So at this point, you look at it and say, the Devils really have just had no freaking luck in this game. And that's going to happen sometimes in hockey. Even if you are constantly dominating a team, you might be in a situation where a goaltender makes 50 saves and you just can't score. You might have a game like the Devils had where they just, they had a couple chances and hit off the post and hit off someone else. And, you know, also you could have a situation where the ref makes a bad call. And even though you're doing well to try to kill off the penalty, they score in a deflection. And again, when you look at the you know goals that result in a deflection, I never really blame the goaltender because he's still in pretty good position and he just has to hope in that case that it hits him. So with the first goal, Wedgwood, he was already down preparing for that first deflection, but he wasn't ready, obviously, for a second deflection. The second goal that they gave up again, he goes down expecting to make a, a, a low save. It gets deflected and it goes over his shoulder and in. Sometimes that's just how it goes. But at this point, obviously, it's very frustrating. And you looked at it and said, okay, you know, how are the Devils going to respond to this? Because at that point, it looked like the Flyers were just ready to really, you know, blow this one open and take a very easy victory. But the Devils were able to slowly but surely create some more opportunities, and they eventually got some goals. And the first one was scored by Michael McLeod. I am not making that up. I am not lying to you. Michael McLeod has finally, in something like his 40, 40th game, or he's played something like 40-plus games in his career, he finally got his first National Hockey League goal. And it wasn't taken away. They didn't go back on the replay and say, oh, 
it hit off of someone else, so it's not his goal. That happened against Arizona last year, if you remember, Devils fans, where apparently he had scored, but then they said, no, it hit off a Zajac or something like that, and it wasn't Michael McLeod's goal. But this time, it definitely counted, and I was just, I was blown away by the fact that he finally scored, because if you've seen this kid since he got drafted by the Devils, it became somewhat of a running joke that he was just never going to score his first NHL goal, that he had some of the worst luck. And even though Michael McLeod is not one of the most talented players on this team, he has worked very hard and has had a lot of success early on this year. He seemed to have gotten faster. He had a couple other opportunities in using you know, the power move to nearly get a shot on goal right in front of the net back in the third period. I mean, he really has shown up this year and has tried to make himself a you know a significant part of this devil's rebuild and I'm very happy to see that without question and it was great to see him get that goal and the devils were able to cut the deficit to one then about five minutes later as the devils continued to turn the tide and turn the momentum in their favor you had a situation where you had that second slash third line of Zajac, Yanni Kwokinen, and Andreas Janssen and then Kwokinen takes it into the zone drop past the Janssen he makes a nice you know Deke move away from one defender. He takes a shot. It hits off of Travis Zajac's leg, goes through the legs of Brian Elliott and into the back of the net to tie the game. And at first I was like, oh, that's Andreas Janssen's first goal as a devil. No, they actually gave it to Zajac, which would make it his second goal of the season. Andreas Janssen got his first point as a New Jersey devil. So, you know, obviously he's been really struggling and I'm really concerned about that but I'm glad that he was able to get a point. And also, Yanni Kwokinen got the secondary assist, which also gave him his first National Hockey League point. So we had a couple milestones in that game, which is great, and especially from the young players that are expected to really be guys to help catapult this rebuild and be part of this team eventually becoming a championship contender. It's great to see that. And the Devils were able to get, get some guys like that. And most importantly, they tied the game going into the third period. So going into the third, there was a lot of belief, a lot of excitement, a lot of, you know, we can do this. We can beat this team. We got to cut down on the penalties and we got to keep getting pucks to the net because through the first 40 minutes, they had taken something like three, four or five penalties. It was getting kind of ridiculous. And unfortunately, the penalties continued to come in that third period. And Nolan Patrick was able to catch Scott Wedgwood out of position, and even though he was able to get back, he was just a second behind, and Nolan Patrick scored in relatively an empty net and gave the Flyers back the one-goal lead. And then about two or three minutes later, Joel Farabee was able to get a pass. I think it was taken away by, I want to say it was Konechny, but I could be wrong, but nonetheless, it was a very bad breakout pass by Ty Smith deep in his own zone. It was taken away by the Flyers. Farabee found a wide-open net and got it home to get the Flyers back to a two-goal lead. And then that's where things kind of, you know, pretty much got put out of reach, where the Devils pretty much fell apart in that third period, took another couple penalties, and it was very frustrating. And it was just like, why is it that the Devils seem to be taking so many penalties? P.K. Subban in particular had a really, really bad game defensively. And I know a lot of Devils fans that I've spoken to are pretty much done with him, are pretty much done. And, and I'm pretty much getting to that point as well because that really is unacceptable. Offensively, he looks better, but again, you know, he seems to be 
I, I guess I would say it seems like he's starting to get over the hill when it comes to his skill level, that he's just not the player he once was. Maybe it's the system. Maybe it's just everything. And that's really what's disappointing and makes that whole trade, you know, not as great. Then again, I mean, they gave up a pick. They gave up Jeremy Davies and they gave up uh, Santini. And Santini's not even in the NHL at the moment. Not that I know. I don't know what Davies' situation is right now. But, you know, again, it was one of those situations where I think neither team really won this trade. But you look at P.K. Subban and you look at the fact that he has still $9 million, I think, for another year or two. I think that with the way everything's going, I wouldn't be shocked if P.K. Subban wasn't on the team at the end of this season. He may be traded. I doubt it. I think that the Devils will just leave him unprotected in the Seattle expansion draft and hope, I guess, that that Seattle takes him, which would make sense from a marketing standpoint to kind of promote hockey in Seattle. It would make sense to go and, and get him in. But We'll, we'll see how he continues, if he can continue to improve, because I'm really hoping that he can, you know, get better and help this team win, because at the end of the day, that's what's most important. But at the end of this game, Ivan Provrov scored an empty net goal from three quarters of the ice, which was very impressive. And I said to myself, when are the Devils ever going to do that? Because it seems like every other team can and, and the Devils can't. And then Zaka, about a minute or so later, about 45 seconds later, scored on a rebound to get his second goal of the season and his second goal in two games, which is good. And that was pretty much it as the Devils fell in this one, five to three. And I kind of looked at it and I said to myself, you know what? I'm not really that mad about it. Yeah, I'm discouraged because the Devils had some opportunities. And especially in that third period, I forgot to mention this, that twice the Devils had opportunities to score early on in that third period to take a 3-2 lead. You had Andreas Janssen do another really, really good toe drag, was able to deke out a defender, and he beat Brian Elliott, but he couldn't beat the post. And then about a, uh, about 30, 40 seconds later, there was a scramble in front of the net. Sievertson's got a wide open net. He takes the shot and hits the other post. I mean, they hit the top post and both the left and right post of this net and did not score. So that's three goals right there that could have happened and would have definitely probably won the game for the Devils or at least gotten them a point. So it was very frustrating, but I chalked this game up to a lot of it was more of, it was just unlucky, basically. It really just was an unlucky game from start to finish. And the Devils, for them to still get three goals and to make it as competitive as it was, even if the score doesn't really show it, I I think just shows that this team is still very young, still trying to learn, but certainly is able to create a lot of opportunities and be ultra competitive, which is what we want to see as this year continues to move forward. But again, it was a frustrating loss as the Devils dropped the three, two, and one. And like I said, if you guys are listening to this, when this episode comes out on Thursday, the 28th of January, the Devils will be looking to try to rebound and get a victory against the Flyers in the second game. And hopefully by the time you guys are listening to this, that has already happened. And then you look at, obviously, the next two games against Buffalo. That's a team that the Devils can certainly, you know, have success with and playing back-to-back matinee games. I'd like to see the Devils try to take advantage of that and try to do that. But let's start with getting a victory against the Flyers first to get some confidence back for some of the younger players. So that's pretty much the recap of the two games that happened from the last episode to this one. And like I said before, guys, this is just going to kind of be you know, how it goes for most of these episodes moving forward. Just going to recap the games that I didn't recap in the episode before and just go from there and also bring up any news or notes 
that needs to be brought up. And speaking of news, let's talk about what happened about two days ago when an article from a Swedish newspaper, which is considered, I think somebody told me it was considered to be one of the more well-known newspapers in Switzerland. I think it's called Blick, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. This is an article written by Nicole Vandenbroek. And if I said that name incorrectly, I do apologize. But she published this back on the 25th of, of January, excuse me. And that was back on Monday. She posted this around 6.22 p.m. local time. And it's titled, This is How NHL Star Nico Heeshier Is After His Injury. Now, I had to translate a lot of this to English from German. So if it doesn't sound completely... Um, if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I do apologize. I'm just going to read it. But I wanted to read you guys the story in case you haven't, you haven't heard it because I think this is something to be important about. So it goes, Nico Heischer is on the best way back after breaking his fibula during SC Burn training in New Jersey. The star striker is still training alone on the ice. So right away, what this article is saying is that Nico Heischer's injury is a broken fibula that he sustained while training with Bern, his former team in Switzerland. And that is why he hasn't been as quick to get back on the ice or get back with the team as possible. The article continues to go by reading a bigger leadership role and even more responsibility. That's waiting for Nico Heischer at the New Jersey Devils. Wait, because the 22-year-old is still building up after his injury. In December, the star NHL striker broke his fibula in SCB training after a player fell on his leg. Now, again, really quick, and I'm sorry to keep you know, interrupting in this article because I know it's important to be consistent. But again, we knew that somebody had fallen on his leg and he had broken it. I think a lot of people thought it was a broken foot, to be honest with you. Um, but again, it just it's one of those things where we're like, okay, but they said he's listed day to day. But again, the NHL teams usually don't are very vague basically about injuries and we'll talk about that a little bit more after I'm done reading this article and then Nico actually said quote the timing was bitter says he sure I haven't played that long and the season was about to start there was a bit of frustration at the beginning especially since the Devils hired a new trainer with Lindy Ruff in the summer he sure has not yet been able to show himself to the Canadian on the ice but the valet is present in all team and tactical meetings as well as in all home games. The number one draft from 2017 has already missed five games. When he will be able to intervene for the first time this season has not yet been determined. A prognosis is difficult. It can take a few more weeks before I am free of pain. According to the doctors, this is different for every person. The crutch, the break was just above the skate shaft. For about 10 months without a serious fight. After all, he sure has been back on the ice for a week, but alone does a lot of power skating. It was mentally good that I could get back on the ice. My next goal is to be able to train with the team soon. The bearer of hope has been without a serious fight for 10 months, longer than ever in my career, in his career. It is all the more important for that he is 100% fit on his comeback. Otherwise, I will harm myself or the team. Because even Heeshier, who is mentally stronger from the whole thing, is aware that he has to take another step forward. I have reached the point where I want to be a leader and I have to be on this team. I will do everything I can to make my teammates better and sooner rather than later. Okay. Here are my thoughts that I actually shared 
yesterday morning, the 26th of January, and you can find it on the Devil's State of Mind Twitter at Devil's State. This is what I said. It's not 100% accurate, according to sources. I actually have spoken to a couple of people from Switzerland who know of this of this um, news, news outlet, I guess you would want to call it. And they said that even though a lot of their news is pretty accurate, they tend at times to put out things that are not 100% entirely true. So the other thing about it is also that the devils haven't really said anything and neither has anybody from the NHL themselves. No other insiders, no other reporters that I've spoken to have said anything about Nico Heischer breaking his fibula and anything like this. And the dialogue of the story is not exactly clear. And I mean, there's no, what I'm saying about that is that there's no saying in the article as to why are the devils not saying anything about it and, and why are they keeping it as hush hush. And I said, I'll see it when I believe it. Mainly what I'm saying is that I don't really believe this article that much. I've spoken to a couple people and there was a person on Twitter who is actually from Switzerland as well that said, I can confirm this source is from Switzerland's biggest news journal. It's legit. The injury is a broken fibula. Happened during training with his home club, SC Bern, in December. Again, I don't think anybody is doubting that Nico Heischer may or may not. Well, basically, I don't think anybody's doubting that he got hurt and he fell on his leg. But for it to be a broken fibula, instead of being labeled and, and being labeled day to day, it kind of is a question of, well, who's really telling the truth here? And I think you have to look at it from this standpoint. NHL teams, and particularly the Devils, are very, very vague about basically saying what an injury is. So what I mean to say by that, and I'm sure a lot of you guys know what I'm talking about because you've seen it before in the past, but if you haven't, what you'll see a lot of times is that if somebody gets hurt, they'll say it's an upper body or lower body injury. They won't say specifically what it is. So in another sport like football or basketball, they'll immediately come out and say, oh, he tore his ACL. Oh, he has a concussion. Oh, you know, he, he has turf toe. You know, it's one of those things. In the NHL, they're very, very vague about it, and they don't really give you a whole lot of information. I don't know if that's just because they don't want to give other teams, you know, any sort of something to scout upon. I, I don't really know why they do things. But there are two examples with the Devils that kind of lean more towards they're not being honest with everybody about what Nico Heischer's status really is. The first one goes back to about 2014, 2015, when Mike Camilleri was on the team. He suffered, I think it ended up being a broken leg, but they said it was a lower body injury and he was listed as day to day. And it was like, okay, no big deal. He ended up missing the last 40 some odd games of the season and didn't return. And we all, all the time, all we heard was he's day to day, he's day to day, he's getting better, he's, get, he's getting closer, he's closer. And that never ended up happening. He never ended up playing again that season. Then you go back a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, Taylor Hall, here's a really good example. He got hurt, lower body injury. Devil said it was day to day. We kept hearing things like, oh, he's skating. Oh, he's getting closer. He's getting closer. He missed the last 38, 39 games of that season. And so again, it was just kind of one of those things. And then we found out later, oh, it was a lot more severe. So the question is, are we going down that same path with Nico Hishier? Are we going down the path where he could be out for an extended period of time? Now, from, again, from what people have said to me is that if this injury and everything that happened 
happened when they said it did, that Nico Heischer, from the time that he broke his fibula, which they said could take up to six to eight weeks to heal, he would be ready by early to mid-February. So in theory, he could be ready to go within the next week or two, which might be the reason why the Devils listed him as day-to-day, because he was already for about a month dealing with this injury. So by the time he gets to New Jersey, they look at it and say, well, it's not going to take that much longer for you to heal up. So again, I'm not saying that this is going to be something where Nico is going to be out the whole year, knock on wood. But again, it would be nice to be told and to be honest about what his situation is. I think the team deserves to know that. I think we as reporters and podcast hosts and people who give out the news I think it would be great to know that stuff. But again, you know, it's not something that the NHL necessarily has to do or that the Devils have to do. All we can hope for is that this injury is not one that's going to keep him out for basically the entire year, even though it might be better for him health-wise for him to get ready for a full 82-game season as opposed to trying to rush himself into a 52-game season. But again, it would be great to have him as opposed to not having him. I mean, that's just what I look at. I mean, again, you look at the way the Devils have played. Three, two, and one so far without Nico, without Brat, without Votnin, without Mackenzie Blackwood. It, it, it makes you wonder how much better this team could be with those guys actually playing. And we all want to see them play. But at the same time, the health is most important. And I want Nico to take as much time as he possibly can. I would just like the Devils to come out and be honest about it and say, okay, look, this is what's going on. Because a lot of people out there are saying, oh, you're, you're toying with our emotions. You know, you're leading us on to be absolutely disappointed when the season's over and he hasn't played. I get all of that. I get all that. And, and that's really what's, what's frustrating about the whole situation. But again, for this article to come out, I would be curious to know if anybody's going to bring it up, you know, to Lindy Ruff or to Tom Fitzgerald that they speak to the media, I'd like to know if they're going to say, hey, you know, we found this article. I wouldn't be surprised because I'm pretty sure a lot of people in Devil's World, including journalists, have seen this at this point, especially with myself sharing it and other people in the Devil's community sharing it as well. You know, I, I think it's something to, you know, think about and maybe see what the Devil's do with it. But again, as my good friend Virginia from Switzerland, who we had on a couple of weeks ago, she said to me that it's better to wait to see what the devils actually say as opposed to just going off this article and immediately assuming the worst. I think that's fair. Until we get all the facts in place, let's just continue to hope that Nico's progressing. And from what Lindy Rupp is saying to us, he's, he's skating and he's getting closer and closer, which is great, even though we've heard that story several times, as I just mentioned to you guys. But let's just hope that it's not something too severe. Let's hope that the Devils come out at some point and are honest about whatever the situation is and everybody could just be honest about it and move from there. So the bottom line is, Nico is still not ready to go, but my hope, and I'm sure a lot of people's hopes out there, is that you know he'll be back sooner rather than later. The last thing I wanted to talk about here was actually some positive news. And, and this is great because I'm recording this on Wednesday, January 27th. 2021. It's about 6.30 in the evening. About an hour or so ago, we got confirmation from, obviously, the New Jersey Devils themselves, Amanda Stein, Corey Massasak. We, we got confirmation that Jesper Brett is indeed ready to go and will be practicing with the Devils on Thursday. So while you guys are listening to this in probably the morning, I would imagine, of Thursday, 
the 27, the 28th, excuse me, of January, Jesper Bratt will be, you know, joining the team for morning skate. He has gone through quarantine and, you know, he's tested negatively several times for COVID-19 and he is officially eligible to go. So there's only one player really left on the COVID list, at least for now. And that is still Mackenzie Blackwood, who we're still not sure as to when he will actually be ready to come back. So that makes me nervous a little bit. It's been about a week now, but hopefully things will improve over the next couple of days. But yeah, Jesper Brett is finally back and that's really a great thing. And that's really a great thing. So then the question obviously came up to Amanda Stein where one fan asked her, would Jesper Brett be available for tomorrow's game against the Flyers? And she said that there is a possibility for that. Um, obviously, Lindy Ruff made a lot of changes throughout the game when it came to his lines. He might be looking for something just different. Jesper Brett might be really ready to go, and, and they might play him. I, I think that there's a very good possibility. We'll, we'll see what happens as we have morning skate and, you know, once we get closer and closer to game time. I think that there's a good chance, but I wouldn't put my money on it. So, Devils fans, don't, don't put your expectations that, oh, Jesper's definitely playing tomorrow, because he may not. He may, they may wait till the back-to-back against Buffalo this upcoming weekend to make that decision and then and then obviously let him let him do it. So, you know, again, let, let's see what happens here. But it's obviously exciting news that Jesper Bratt is finally with the team. He is the first of four main guys that we want to see back. Nico Hushier is one of them. We want Mackenzie Blackwood back, and obviously also Sammy Botnin, who as far as we know right now, still hasn't gotten his work visa and still isn't even in the United States. So he may be out for a significant amount of time. But again, things could very well change. But it's great that Jesper's back. He's going to help bring us a lot more offense. Apparently, he's been watching a lot of film with Lindy Ruff. But again, it's not going to matter until he gets on the ice and starts building chemistry with the rest of the team. But it's great that we're getting a little bit of reinforcements back. And I'm looking forward to seeing number 63 on the ice again. For the New Jersey Devils. What's going on, Devils fans? It's your host, Neil Villapiano. Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. If you want to check out more of the podcast, here's what you do. You go wherever you listen to podcasts, so that could be Spotify, that could be iTunes, that could be Google Podcasts, you know, where, wherever you listen to podcasts, you go and you search Devil's State of Mind, and you will find the new episodes that we post every week on both Mondays and Thursdays. Please also go check out the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole. We have podcasts for all the teams in the NHL, as well as other great hockey podcasts. So just like with Devil's State of Mind, just search Hockey Podcast Network, and you can see all the podcasts that we have on this great network. You can follow the Devil's State of Mind on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil's State, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Devil's State of Mind. Make sure to also follow the Hockey Podcast Network on all social media platforms. Just search at H-O-C-K-E-Y, Hockey, P-O-D, Pod, N-E-T, Net. If you want to listen to more of my voice, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Podcast, where I talk about all things going on in the wide world of sports. 
New episodes go out every Monday and Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Presents channel on YouTube, where just like the podcast, I talk about different topics that are going on in the world of sports as well. New videos go out every single Tuesday on YouTube. So it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents, and you will find it. Again, new videos out every Tuesday. You can stay up to date with all the new episodes and videos by following me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11, and also Mofobo Network on Facebook. And last, but certainly not least, go check out both my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. The first is J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Agony and the Ecstasy, nah, no ecstasy of being a Jets fan. This book is about all the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So from all the painful moves, painful games, painful player decisions, painful ownership decisions, you know, where, you know, anything we could think of, it's in this book. So this is really for the Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know some one of those, or if you just want to support me, go check out that book. The other book that I just published recently is titled Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. This one is all about the regrets of being a Mets fan. And even through world championships in 1969 and 1986, there was so much regret between those years, between those years, as well as the years following 1986. Both of these books are available for both hardcover and ebook for the price of 1969. So if you're a Jets fan or a Mets fan, or by some chance you're both, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So again, please go check out both of those books. The first one, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Pain and Suffering of Being a New York Jets Fan, and also Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. So once again, thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Villapiano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the amazing people that you are, you know, every single day, you know, always remember to just be yourself and continue to kick absolute butt. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!